You're listening to sermons from La Cunada Congregational Church and Pastor Kyle Sears. Join us in person every Sunday at 10 a.m. in La Cunada for worship. You can find more information about our church online at lacanadachurch.org. I, I think it was Teresa who raved to me about how good Puss in Boots The Last Wish was. It was good enough, I heard, uh, so that I, I wanted to watch it but avoid spoilers. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I did not see the previous two Puss in Boots films. I'd grown kind of tired of the Shrek shtick after the second film. And, and so imagine my surprise when the sequel to a spinoff that made Smash Mouth famous included a scene of a cat having a panic attack as he faced the reality of death. And that contemplations on death and the threat of death as a powerful source of good was in a kid's film that also include an ongoing joke about the cat has a beard. It was, it was quite this, <laughs> this, this uh, weird tension between uh, the two themes of the film. But, you know, we expect our, our faith traditions to be the ones that deal with death, not cartoons. But I want us to consider what for me becomes Jesus's most important encounter with the threat of death and how he will find his way through his own panic and into grace. And so this is Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. He came out and went as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come into the time of trial. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And when he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come into the time of trial." So as I've said before, Luke, especially the back half of Luke, is a road trip story, not unlike Puss in Boots. We know what awaits Jesus as he makes his way to Jerusalem, his death at the cross, and we are called as readers to journey along with him in that traveling. And the reader is not meant to be surprised or challenged when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. Most of them would know how the story ends, even if they weren't Christians, By the time Luke was writing his gospel, everyone kind of knew the general story of Jesus. It had made its way into the Greek world, and thus Luke, as a Greek writer, is writing about it. And so the story of the cross and the resurrection is really not the main turning point of the story. It's not the climax of how we normally would write a narrative. It's all the stuff that happens after the real turning point. The climactic battle in Luke's gospel is not the cross itself, but it's the threat of the cross and how Jesus will face it. And so we find ourselves in a garden where Jesus would often retire after staying near Jerusalem. He goes to the Mount of Olives. Gethsemane is how it was also known. And it will be a scene in this garden as Jesus prays of cosmic significance, of angelic appearances that we had witnessed through Luke at the manger, singing to the shepherds at Jesus' baptism. Now again, we find something cosmically significant about this moment as Jesus is praying alone. And I would think that if I was Luke, I would be tempted to maybe write this struggle as no struggle at all, of painting Jesus as one of superhuman faith, powerful angelic allies at his side, impervious to the threat of death 
And instead, what we see is a Jesus under so much duress that sweat pours out of him like blood from an open vein. Jesus does not want to die. And Jesus does not want to be alone. And maybe that's the same thing when you come down to it. That death is a lonely road even if you have others near. What we find is that Jesus does not actually die alone. But there on each side of him on the cross are rebel leaders. But even still at the cross, Jesus will cry out how forsaken he feels, even by God. Why am I left alone to die here? In our film, Puss in Boots now having died eight times is on his last life as a cat. And when he finally sees death, whom he's laughed in the face of in the past, the world stops. Death is very much the wolf on the prowl, sneaking up and stalking him, being felt before he's seen. And like the children's movie of my childhood, I'm kind of proud, like, all right, 21st century children's films, scaring kids to death like they ought to be. That's the way they should. Uh, Death is scary in this movie. And I think like most of us, in our encounters with death, our first instinct is just like Puss in Boots, to run and to hide to deny that death could ever claim us, and yet still wanting to stay as far ahead as we can. And so we find a very different approach that Jesus takes, that Jesus chooses to be still and to pray. He invites his friends to pray with him, that Jesus will separate himself from them, but he encourages them to stay awake and keep watch through this time of prayer. And Jesus defines this moment in the garden with his followers as he is preparing for this battle of the threat of death as a time of trial. This is the same language used in the Lord's Prayer. I know that we normally say, lead us not into temptation. Um, I've had a habit now of writing down that would instead we say, save us from this time of trial. I like that language because it connects us to this prayer that Jesus makes in the garden. I prefer that over lead us not into temptation because our prayer in this way should be less Lord, keep that ice cream away from me because I've already had too much. Um, And instead, save us from the time of trial has this sense of help me face suffering and setback and maybe even death itself with a faithful conviction that you are with me. Because being alone is scary. If I am ever brave, it's only really on behalf of others, and and mostly my kids. There's an earthquake, or there's a storm, and I don't want the kids to be afraid, so I act like it's fine. We'll be safe, here's how we're gonna do, whatever, whatever. Inside, I'm a mess. I don't like heights, but I will take them to the edge of the cliff overlooking Yosemite Falls and say, isn't this beautiful, as I am trying to find the rail to hold onto, you know? I don't like moving water, but Yoseb and I, go whitewater rafting on the Snake River. And I keep thinking to myself, I was sure we'd have helmets on this rocky thing, but, but no. I officiate funerals with what I hope to be compassion and grace, but I always, leading up to and in the middle of it, wrestle with my own encounters of death and, and fear and, and what would happen. And so does Jesus. What we find in Jesus' prayer His father, if you are willing, remove this cup. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to die. I know what's coming. And if there's any way for it not to come, make that happen. 
But he also leans into that reality that he faces with faith. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And again, we should hear those familiar lines of the prayer that he taught us to pray. Thy will be done, already taught to the disciples and now hopefully continuing to be prayed by them. And here is the power of this moment where Jesus will see beyond his own life and death, his suffering and vindication to see a reality beyond himself. Here he is not the triumphantly impervious son of God, but instead he becomes the suffering servant that we read of in Isaiah, the one who recognizes that even death can be part of God's divine plan. Now, honestly, I hate trite axioms like that. I, I don't like all the funeral kind of language that we use of, oh, God must have wanted an angel in heaven or, or God works in mysterious ways or all that stuff. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't think it's helpful when someone is in the midst of grief to basically say, well, God wanted them and so you have to go without. Um, death is unjust and it is grievous and it is exhausting. We see that the disciples fall asleep because of their grief. We don't need to put a happy face on death. But we can't put meaning on it. It does not have to be an empty injustice or a, or a callous or capricious sort of thing. Death can be redeemed. And it can, in its own strange way, through what Jesus endures, bring life. In fact, scientists have shown that pondering our mortality actually makes us more prone to gratitude. And that in the gratitude of that kind of thoughtfulness, we are healthier, emotionally, physically, mentally. That by thinking of what it would be like to go without life itself, we actually begin to appreciate life itself. And that's what happens in Puss in Boots. That once he stops running from death and instead faces it and recognizes that he only has one life to live and he's gonna make sure that it's a life worth living, because he never knows when it could finally end, he chooses to continue to live how he was before he thought he was at all threatened by death. He chooses to be heroic and not turn away. He faces all the threats with the same gusto as before, but it matters to him more now, not because of his own fame and glory that they would sing of him for, but because he's realize how much he loves the people around him, that he fights for them instead of for himself. And that's Jesus's prayer that if I am going to die, I know it will be because in God's hands, death is not empty and meaningless. Somehow God redeems even death for good. Isaiah's servant reflects on the very same thing that there are people who will lay down their life in such a way that it will bring healing to others. That the wounds and scars that are endured by one might somehow bring healing to the rest. And I think this is, then becomes a cosmic moment for Jesus with angelic presence as important as birth and baptism because it points to this cosmic significance of this specific death, of Christ's death on the cross, that somehow in his death, Jesus will absorb and then exhaust the power of death. 
not only from the world at that time, but throughout history. And that in absorbing it and then exhausting it and then carrying it down into the grave and leaving it there as he resurrects, we now open up a possibility beyond life and death to some new way of living that we may have never imagined before. It's important as we would read this story of Jesus being alone in his prayer, alone in his journey, and ultimately alone in his death, that we would follow Jesus in this way. That's Luke's hope. That we would adopt a posture as Christians to identify with the lowest, the weak and the hungry, the humble and the poor, the ones who are unable to shield themselves from death with money and power and military might. But you know, that sort of camaraderie with the hurting can be exhausting. Again, holding grief causes the disciples to sleep. It wears them out, just being near that kind of pain. Prayer is meant to sustain us, Jesus will say, so that we don't face this time of testing alone. I think that our instinct, though, is to retreat. I don't want to read about that on the news. I don't want to wrestle with that kind of history. We can just call it unknown. I don't know what's on the other side of death and be satisfied with it. But what if we do something as un-American as facing our threats together instead of alone? What if instead of this bootstrap mentality that I can do everything by myself, we instead admit our grief to one another freely? We say that sometimes we're afraid that kind of vulnerability allows us to realize that everyone else is too. Afraid of our histories, that will just keep repeating itself over and over again. Afraid that we can never break the cycle that our families have bestowed to us. Afraid that death is going to rob us of joy in this life and the life to come. What we find is that the gift that is received in this Christian journey is that because Jesus walked alone, no one else has to. No one else has to. That we are brought together as this now body of Christ so that we can freely admit our vulnerabilities. That we can freely say, we echo the words of Jesus' prayer, let that cup pass. Because Jesus' desire in this moment is to see that even the scary parts of life can be redeemed for good. That even our brokenness and suffering, the times we mess up and we feel like it can't be made right, this is the power of God in our life, that we can face even death itself and know there's life on the other side of it. But we all need to be reminded of that. And so my hope is that we would be a people who would find meaning in life as we see life flourishing among us. And that we would be a people willing to align with those who are on the brink of death itself so that we can be reminded of the hope that we find in God. Amen. Amen.